0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you'll help us, as, <clears throat> as Sarah said, to, to learn more about your grace. Thank you for the beautiful worship. Lord, for these gifted people that come every week, for all the people who set up this church, the labor of love. Lord, we pray for all the people who are away because of the holiday week, spring break. And we just pray that you'll speak to us today from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, when was the last time somebody called you a jerk? <laughs> um, or a pervert, or something else rude. Like, you're you're crazy. You're just freaking crazy. Um, listen to what Paul said to the Christians in the provinces of Galatia. Um, this is... Uh, our key verse today he says you crazy galatians okay did someone put a hex on you have you taken leave of your senses something crazy has happened are you nuts okay this is from the bible okay there are lots of times when i wanted to call god's people crazy you know you idiots that's i titled the message idiot christians are you okay with that because it's in the bible okay but we got to find out what what is Paul talking about here. He says, "You crazy Galatians!" No, no, let, no, no. Let's go back there. I'm like, "You crazy Galatians!" Did someone put a hex on you? I mean, those are pretty strong words, right? You're crazy. Something crazy has happened. You're under a spell. Okay. Uh, what in the world could Paul be so upset about? Okay. Are these people living in sin? Are they sleeping around? Now, those things are important to talk about. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, which is surprising. Here's what he's talking about. Now we can go to that next slide there, Mike. What is, okay, what, what is Paul talking about? Simply this, adding to Jesus, which I refer to as Jesus plus something. Okay. So Paul's, he's not talking about sin, he's not talking about perversion, you know, he's not talking about being disobedient to God. He's not talking like living like he's not talking about living like the devil. He's talking about something that quite frankly is hardly ever addressed in churches even though the book of Galatians is a central message in the Bible. It is a royal flush. Remember that? Okay, Galatians is a royal flush. So, adding to Paul is talking about adding to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus plus something. Okay? Now, This is the theme of Galatians. There are several places in the Bible I refer to as royal flush passages that explain to us the doctrine of salvation. There's the book of Acts, chapter 15, where the church has its first ever conference because they haven't really settled on how to describe salvation. They're not really clear that salvation is by grace alone. And you have traditionalists, you have Jewish people who have grown up under the word of God in in structured homes, and then you have pagan Gentiles coming into this Jewish community, and there is conflict. Uh, there is so so much conflict, and for for the Jewish community, circumcision circumcision of little boys on the eighth day was like part of it was just essential, and it was it was an essential part of their religious experience. In fact, it was and maybe in some ways more essential than baptism is in the church today. And it went way back to uh, circumcision went way back to God's call on Abraham. That was the first Jew. Uh, For those of you who don't know Old Testament history, you know there's Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and those stories. And then the book of Genesis is mostly about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 sons of, of Jacob or Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have Abraham, who's the father of really three faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All three faiths cons- considered, we, we're, we're one of the Abrahamic faiths. Okay. So we all have roots with Abraham. And even though Moses uh, gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments, he led them out of captivity from uh, Egyptian slavery, crossed through the Red Sea, received the law on Mount Sinai. The real founder, the father, uh, and Abraham means father, the father of the Jewish people was Abraham. And... <clears throat> So, Abraham, God cut a covenant. I mean, it's just a peculiar, just it's just this peculiar ritual, and it really it's about uh, it's about God's mark on our future. Circumcision is about how God is really in control of our future; uh, we are completely out of control. Abraham, uh, Abraham is uh, he's old. His wife is old. They can't really bear children, um, and it's it's about the possibility of God and the impossibility of human. Of, of human, the human future, and especially about our ability to make anything happen. Nothing is in our control. Everything is in the control of God. And so Abraham has a child. His name is Isaac. His wife laughs when she hears the news, and that's why they name him Isaac, which means laughter. And the fact that they had a child was humanly impossible. And we're going to see in Galatians that Paul uh, refers to Abraham... As someone who believed God, and it was counted for righteousness, uh, he and, and Sarah really had nothing to do with this miracle birth, and it's it's a story about grace. But there's this this there is this ritual called circumcision, which was more than just an act of you know cleanliness. There's debate about the value of circumcision today, but um, it was it was really about the it was about the mark of God and about how God was setting him apart and. And from that moment on, every Jewish male was circumcised, and to be uncircumcised was, in a sense, to go to hell. And you didn't associate with uncircumcised people. Um, you, didn't, you didn't go into their homes, you didn't eat with them, and you certainly didn't bring them into the temple, uh, into the holy places of Israel. Uh, the Apostle Paul eventually is actually, he's, he's, under, he's arrested, there's a riot He causes a riot in Jerusalem because the rumor is out that he brought an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple and um, Timothy was a Gentile Paul had him circumcised as an adult so so he could take him with him into the temple but there was some misunderstanding Paul ended up being arrested, taken to Rome and was eventually executed so circumcision was a really really big deal and so you have these two communities coming together in the early church, first all the early Christians are Jewish right? But Jesus said in giving us the Great Commission, as it's worded in in the book of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the purpose of the gospel is not just to save the Jews, but it's to save everybody. But the Jewish, traditional Jewish community, which is really a picture of traditional Christians who sometimes have difficulty accepting people who don't really, they aren't like normal. Those are funny moments, aren't they? Unless you're the speaker. Um, so, so you have you have Gentile Christians getting saved. They're, the men are not circumcised, and this is just causing it's causing all kinds of consternation and frustration on the part of the Jews. So there are Jewish Christians who are teaching these new Gentile con- converts that they need to be circumcised. Now, you know, some people feel uncomfortable. I've been told people feel uncomfortable when I talk about circumcision. But uh, this is the issue in the book of Galatians, and it it is kind of like, it it exemplifies all the stuff that we add to Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing, but in the book of Galatians, it's Jesus plus something. And Paul is very upset about Christians saying, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but there are other things you have to do if you want to make sure that you get saved. You know, it's not just enough to be a Christian to believe in Jesus you 've got it there are certain things you have to do, and all through church history there, there's sort of these this grid we have these you know, these doctrinal statements and things you have to believe and you have to believe them in a certain way and you've got to do certain things in a certain way. You know, you've got to be baptized. You can't just be baptized. You've got to be baptized a Catholic or you've got to be baptized Church of Christ or you've got to be baptized Baptist. I heard lately, I heard not, not too long ago that, that and, you know, this has just shocked me that if you join a Baptist church, it doesn't matter where else you've been baptized, you've got to be baptized again, you know? And or, you know, how, do you, how do you baptize somebody, you know? Is In the name of Jesus, is it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Is it by sprinkling? Is it by pouring? Is it by immersion? And so that's why we have all these buildings with different church names because everybody has a little different take on exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in the process, Jesus gets pushed aside. Honey, I just shrunk Jesus. Because we've said, yes, Jesus is everything, but not quite. See? We have to do some other things. All right, so um, this is the context of Galatians. And now we're going to talk today about uh, Galatians chapters, um, oh, about, uh, what does it stand at the top of your notes? So about three, four, and five, or f- three and four? Three to five. And we're going to look at certain sections in these in these passages. And we're going to understand what Paul is saying here about salvation by grace alone. And I think some of the verses I'm going to read today they're startling in the context of how people think about their faith, how they think about the Christian faith. It's just startling. Okay, so here are some key elements of the gospel. Now, the gospel is good news. Religion is always bad news. Religion says do. Grace says done. It's already done. Uh, And so that's good news. You mean I don't have to do anything? You mean Jesus loves me? This I know for the Bible tells me so? And his mercies are new every morning. Now, you know, we're going to get to this because it really bothers people, especially religious people. You mean, you, you mean it doesn't matter what I, I, what I do. I can just do whatever I want to do, and God still loves me. Yes, he still loves you. But you're going to self-destruct. And there are consequences to doing stupid things. You do stupid things. Stupid things will happen to your life. Uh, but when it comes to our relationship with God, there's something there that is absolutely eternal. And it's based on the work of Jesus on the cross. Okay, so here are some, here are some essential elements to the gospel, the good news, that we find in, in this section of, of Galatians. First, the first, first thing is that everyone, number one, everyone needs to be right with God, which means everybody needs to change. Okay? How many of you have at least once in your life not exactly felt right with God? Okay, and, you know, if you change, then, you know, well, then maybe God, you know, we're God's kids and, you know, we, you know, we mess up and so uh, now we want to get right with God and we just say, well, I'm not going to do that again. So um, everyone needs to be right with God. We know this. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I want to just diverge here for a minute. Um, have you ever said that's not fair? If you haven't, have your teenage kids ever said that, you know? Um, or that's so wrong. I mean, that's, that's something that people like to say. That's so wrong. Or, or we want to say to somebody, you know, they cut, us off, they cut us off on the freeway and they got the big truck and they're just defiant. They got skulls all over the back of it. And you want to just say, go to hell. You know, Or somebody does something to your boss or your neighbor. Why do we say those kinds of things? You don't have to be religious to understand that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And even though we argue about what's right and what's wrong, whether or not it's okay for a woman to have an abortion, we argue about those things. The fact is that every human being has a sense of moral values. That some things are things you can do, and some things are things you shouldn't do. Okay? And so, you know, everybody knows they need to be right with God. And so we try to live better lives, we make New Year's resolutions, we do religious things. But, okay, here's the, here is the point that Paul is going to make here in Galatians. But the agent of change is not human effort. The agent of change is not human effort, even if human effort is guided by God's law. So the Jews have God's law, and they're, they're observing God's law, and they're doing all the things that they believe they're supposed to do, but at the root of this is human effort. okay? And so human effort, that's religion. Religion is human effort. I'm going to try harder to be the best I can so that love, God will love me more. Or not stop loving me. What is the agent of change in the scripture? It is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the agent of change is actually God working in me. Um, I think I've said this in one of the previous uh, messages. I can't remember. But Christians are fruit trees, not Christmas trees. Religion is a Christmas tree. Christmas tree. The tree is dead. Some, uh, sometimes it's so dead, it's not even a tree. It's made of aluminum and cellophane. Okay? And then we put beautiful things on it, and we pretend it's a tree, and then we, we have one of those. My wife does all the Christmas uh, decorating, bless her heart. And in our garage, we have a giant artif- artificial tree. Religion is artificial. Christians are fruit trees. We, and, and Paul is going to talk about this in Galatians He's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So that what happens in our lives comes out of us. It's not something we put on. Okay? That's called hypocrisy. All right? So, uh, the agent of change is the Holy Spirit. This is why you can't change people with government programs or, or laws or even rules for your kids. You know, your kids, when they grow up, they've got to believe inside of themselves that what they're doing is wrong. And they want to make a commitment to doing what's right. You can't just impose it on them. Change has to come from the inside. Would anyone like to disagree with that? Okay? You know, our our prison our prison systems is an utter failure because of the recidivism rate and because of what prisons do to people. And we think that by somehow penalizing people, I'm not saying people shouldn't go to jail, but you know, we think by penalizing people that somehow that's going to change them. How many of you have had two tickets in a single month? Ticket didn't change you, did it? (laughs) I won't tell you who raised their hand way in the back there, but he's running the overhead. Okay. And he's a manager at uh, Walmart. Anyway. So look what Paul says, Galatians chapter 3. He says, you foolish Christians. Who has bewitched you? This is another translation. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, the work is done. I would like to learn from you. You know, Paul is really upset. He's PO'd. He is upset. You know, like your parents, you know, he's kind of, you know, using uh, reverse logic. You know, kind of, he says, he says, I'd like to know just one thing from you. You know, we say things like that to our kids. Would you just tell me? You know, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Did the Spirit of God come into your life because God looked down on your life and said, Wow, that person should be a member of my family. Okay? So, did you receive the Spirit because um, uh, by observing the law or by believing what you heard? See, are you so foolish? Are you such an idiot? Okay? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now made, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? This is Jesus plus something. Okay? So, <clears throat> you start out, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's a miracle, God is working, and then now you now you got to kind of put your hand to the plow and you don't look back and you got to do this and you got to do that. You know? Right. Um, <clears throat> It's it's just backwards. We talk about how easy it is to become a Christian. It's easy for God to love you when you're um, a pervert, okay? But once you become one of His children, He's not so sure, and He's got to you know He's got to make you know He's He's kind of not he, he has second thoughts, you know. If I'd have known now what what was going if I'd have known then what was gonna happen in your life, I'd have never brought you into my family. You know, we, we have those feelings. But in fact, the Bible says, if while we were enemies, Jesus died for us, how much more, now that we're his children, will we not be saved by his life? Paul talks about that in Romans. See, The hard part for, for God is getting you saved. The easy part is getting you to heaven. So, Paul says, are you so foolish? having be, After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You know, I live under this curse. I am a, I'm just sort of a high, high energy type A personality. I told my wife yesterday, you know, we, we were walking the dogs. It was just toward, the sun was setting. It was just beautiful. And we've got agriculture kind of behind our neighborhood. And we walked down this field and the, the air was, go- it was a gorgeous evening in Arizona and the, the sky was glowing from the sunset and there were red-winged blackbirds flying over this agriculture. We think it's wheat and, you know, it's just gorgeous. And I told my wife, I have a hard time slowing down because there's a voice in, in, inside of my head that keeps saying, there's stuff you have to do. There's stuff you have to do. There's stuff you have to do. And I, and I ask that voice, well, what do I have to do? And the voice just says, there's stuff you have to do. I'm not even sure what it is, but there's something inside of me that says there's stuff you have to do. Anybody here ever hear that voice? (laughs) So Paul says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you still trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you've heard? god helps those who help themselves we all know that's in the bible no it's not but that's that voice god helps those who help themselves you know i got to pray the rosary one more time you know whatever so <clears throat> are you under a spell the question is are you under a spell is it is human effort enslaving you does it enslave you from time to time is it really is it nearly impossible for you to believe that god's love for you is unconditional especially after you become a Christian, yet this whole message of Galatians, uh, yet this is the whole message of Galatians that grace isn't just for getting saved, it's for staying saved. Galatians is not about how to get saved, it's about how to live out your salvation. And it's all about grace. We're not just saved by grace, we live by grace. And that's the, one of the hardest things for human beings to grasp and to live in because we live in a performance-driven world. All right? So here's the second point. Number two, the starting point of change and the key to releasing the Holy Spirit in your life is faith. Letting go of your own effort and totally trusting God. Letting go. Letting go. Have you heard a message about that here? Faith is one of the most difficult things to do because you have to do nothing. In fact, as soon as you do something, you get in God's way. You try to fix yourself. You try to fix somebody else. God just says, okay, you try. It ain't gonna work. So what are you gonna do? So you come to Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, "In this is my Father uh, glorified if you bear much fruit. You know, so... How do you bear fruit? Do you work on bearing fruit? Not a, a fruit tree doesn't work on bearing fruit. It just comes out of its nature. So Jesus says, abide in the vine. He's the vine. We're the branches. Abide in the vine. Just live your life in Christ. Spend time with him. Get to know Jesus. Turn your life over to him. Keep your life clear with him by confessing your sins. And, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's all about Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing, and that's what changes everything. So Paul says, you you idiot Christians, having begun with the Spirit, are you now made perfect through human effort? It wasn't a human effort that saved you, and it's not human effort that is going to keep God's love coming into your life. Okay? So so faith is one of the most difficult things to do because you have to do nothing. Look at Galatians chapter three, verse six. Consider Abraham. Okay, the father uh, of the three Abrahamic faiths. Okay, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was it doesn't say his sins were forgiven, but when he believed God it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. He had no righteousness of his own, and so he believed God, and the righteousness of God was put into his account. He, it was kind of like, you know, how do I explain this? You know, um, you have, you're bankrupt, and then Jesus comes into your life, and he fills up your account. He doesn't just take your sins away, but he fills up your account, your deficit. You have a righteousness deficit. And you will always feel like you have a righteousness deficit. How many of you have not been a perfect Christian since you believed in Jesus? All right? So you have a deficit even after you become a Christian. Uh, But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So when you believe in Jesus, you get his nature. You're born again. We've talked about that. You are regenerated. And you get the righteousness of God the righteousness of Christ is put into your account, into your heavenly bank account. All right, um, it says, "Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Those who believe, not those who have uh, make an effort." Okay, Abraham is an example of righteousness on credit. Given the opportunity, you couldn't make up for your your sins if you had five lifetimes. You know, people say i couldn't i couldn't make up for what i did if i had five lifetimes some people are in jail for life because they've done one terrible thing okay for some for catholics this is in their theology it will take tens of thousands of years in purgatory and not only your prayers but the fa- prayers of your family to get you out of purgatory okay so this is a wonderful thought i get eternal righteousness righteousness that lasts forever enough righteousness to last forever. When Christ comes into my life, Jesus not only forgives my sins, he fills me with his eternal righteousness. I get his righteousness on credit, and there's enough there to make up for any sin I could possibly commit in the future. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay, uh, number three. Living by the law... Uh, instead of living by faith and grace, is a curse. You know, rules are a curse. I got to do this, I got to do that. It's a curse because sooner or later, probably sooner than later, you're going to break the rule, you're going to fail. So the curse of the law, and we're going to see this here, how Jesus died and bore the curse of the law. The curse of the law is performance orientation You know, if I do the right things, then I get the blessing of God. All right? So it's performance orientation, trying to please God through human effort. You know, there's a secular theory of the origin of life that is all about the law and human effort. It's Darwin's theory of evolution, which says that the world works on this principle the survival of the The fittest. The, the more fit you are, the more likely you'll survive. See? And we roll that into our religion. The more fit you are, the more likely you'll survive. The more God will love you. It is, you know, it's kind of it's kind of an atheistic view of the way the world works. Um, so, God accepts you as long as you live up to his standard. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are what? Under a curse. Okay? For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything written in the book of the law. Remember my little statement? If you want to live by the law, you've got to do all the right things at all the right times for all the right reasons. And that ain't going to happen. And it's, you're going to fall short. It's a curse. You know? Uh, so, uh, you've got to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified uh, before God, before the law, because the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. Okay? This is a phrase that turned the world upside down when Martin Luther had an epiphany about this phrase, the righteous will live by faith. It appears in the Apostle Paul a couple times in the New Testament, in Romans and Galatians, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, I'm not just saved by faith. I live by faith. I'm not saved by faith, and then I, then I have to go through all of these religious act, activities to make sure that my faith is sustained. I, I, I'm saved by faith, but I also live by faith. Every day I have to live by faith because I'm terribly honest with myself. I never am able to live up to the expectations that God has for me. I can't even live up to my own expectations. And so I have to just live by faith that Jesus is Lord and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay? So, The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. It's based on human effort. So, number four. Jesus has saved us from the curse of the law. Um, Again, this is something that nobody talks about in the church. It's pretty crazy. Because church isn't just about getting people saved. It's, It's supposed to be helping people walk out their salvation. But instead of helping people and encouraging people and giving them hope, doggone it, we, we give them a feeling that they're still not quite good enough. i got a pastor friend who's got, he's got a, a, a jungle of, of a congregation. He's got a 1,000 people over on the west side of Phoenix. It's called Grace Walk Church. And it's, it's a third Anglo. It's a third African American. It's a third Hispanic. And, you know, you just, the people on the worship team, is a man, these, you can just see it on their face. face. Their life tells a story. And, and he told me, he said, I, I heard somebody, a pastor say one time, and I thought this was so powerful. He, he said, I, I want everybody to leave Sunday morning church with hope. I don't want them to walk out discouraged. I want them to leave with hope, see. So, um, Jesus, okay, Jesus uh, has saved us from the curse of the law. Okay, we got that up there, right? Now, Jesus died, he was cursed for our failures and in our place. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, so um, when Jesus died on the cross, he saved us from our sins. But this passage, it's talking about the cross. It doesn't say anything about being saved from our sins. It doesn't say anything about the blood of Jesus washing us white as snow it says that Jesus died in the cross to deliver us from the curse of the law, performance orientation, religion. He was nailed to the tree. So that you see, he was, he was he took the curse of what it means to live as a human being and feel a sense of failure. He took that away. See? So he not only saved us from our sins. He saved us from the thing that drives us, performance orientation. The idea that God will only bless us if we do the right things. Okay, number five. I want to read this. You are either in Christ, free from the curse and condemnation that comes from sin, which is failing to obey the law, or you are under the law and under the curse of judgment that comes with the law. Okay. There are two trees in the Garden of Eden. There's the tree of life. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is something we we always want to take fruit from that tree. Because it's about knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong. And if you know what's right and you do it and you know what's wrong and you don't do it, you're going to become more like God. The inherent evil of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that you have to do it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is religion. You're going to become more like God by being a good person. The tree of life is about God holding his arms out to you. You know How much does Jesus love you? This much. He holds out his arms to you. He brings you to himself. And he gives you everything you need. Jesus plus nothing. Changes everything. So, okay, now, number five, under the law, we're slaves and we must obey rules. All along, though deep inside, we really don't want to obey any rules. When you're under the law, you're a slave to the rules, a slave to legalism, and a slave to the terrible guilt and shame that comes into your heart when you don't live up to God's expectations. But in Christ, okay, we become, we're not slaves. We become children and heirs, okay? We become children and heirs. Look at Galatians 4, 6, and 7. And I preached on this message here uh, two weeks ago on this passage. Because you are sons of God, who's your daddy? Okay? God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out what? Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son or a daughter, a child, God has made you also an heir. Now, what's up with that? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That would be circumcision and all of the, the demands of the law. Don't let yourself be burdened by what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And God, oh, what is God? F- yeah, there's hope. There is a hope because Jesus has done it all. Okay, a yoke of slavery. That would be Jesus plus something. There are all kinds of people. My son has done national research on this. He's written two books, bestsellers, unchristian. I, I think I've got a couple of those books out on the book table. I brought some. Some of my books, again, some people said, would you please bring your books back? I didn't get a chance to look at them. Uh, but my, my son's books are out there, uh, UnChristian: Six reasons why people on the outside of the church look at us and, and say, well, it, Christians are not even Christians. They're not really followers of Jesus. They're just legalists. And then he wrote a book called You Lost Me, Why Young Christians Are Leaving Church and Rethinking Faith. It's based on 600 national interviews. He was on Fox he was interviewed live on Fox television when that second book came out. They flew him back to New York, he was interviewed live. Why young Christians are leaving, uh, uh, leaving church and rethinking their faith. And a lot of it has to do with everybody in church is a Christmas tree. They're not a fruit tree. They're just, you know, we just have this going on and we have that going on and these are things that we think God really wants us to do and, and Christians are artificial So, look at Galatians chapter 5. Um, these, these verses, these next verses are, are like, they're just so incredible. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Mark my, these are amazing grace verses. We sang, sang this earlier. Amazing grace, that's how sweet the sound that saved a, a roach like me. Remember that one? Okay, did that come to your mind when we were singing that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, Okay, look at. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Look at verse 2. Mark my words! Paul isn't mad because they're sinning. He's angry because people are adding things to the finished, the perfect finished work of Christ. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. And that's where I get the title of my book on all of this. Honey, I just shrunk Jesus. The more you depend on yourself, the less you depend on Jesus, and the smaller you make Jesus. So Christ will be of no value to you. Look at at verse 3. I, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, it's not just about circumcision, it's Jesus plus something. And when it's Jesus plus something, it really becomes Jesus plus everything, which makes Jesus go away. I heard recently, and I've got good Catholic friends who are born again, uh, have, they, they told me this, Catholic friends told me this, that only 20% of the people who attend a Catholic church who are Catholics have actually had a personal encounter with with jesus and they just go through all this stuff there's a crucifix in every catholic church and jesus it can be found but he's sort of like it's kind of like can you find the you know can you find the hidden jesus he's there somewhere but there are it's not just about catholics it's about you know all this stuff you know how can how can we be authentic and really let people know that it's not about jesus plus well you got to do all this stuff and paul says uh I I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is uh, obligated to obey the whole law. I heard a Jewish rabbi say one time, we don't proselytize because we have something like 615 commandments and no one of us has ever been able to keep them all. Look at uh, verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law or by human effort, okay, have been alienated from Christ. The more you try to do it on your own, the more you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the more you disengage, the more you disconnect from Jesus. See? You're alienated from Christ. And now, a phrase that is completely misused everywhere, you have fallen from grace. This drives me crazy. I mean, whenever somebody... To, is toppled a religious leader or maybe some politician people describe it as falling from grace you know what i mean right okay if somebody falls from grace because they did something s- stupid self-destructive sinful if if you're able to do something that causes you to fall from grace then grace is not grace it's earned grace is unconditional you can't do anything to get it. You can't get anything you you can't do anything to keep it. So and Paul even says this in, in Romans. He talks about grace. He says if it's by works, then it's, it's not grace. And people use this phrase exactly opposite from the way Paul uses it. It is, it is part of our English language. People use it in exactly the opposite way that Paul uses it here. Why have the Galatians fallen from grace? Because they've committed sins? Why have they fallen from grace? Because they're adding things to Jesus. That's why they've fallen from grace. Fallen... Let me say it again. If if you do something and it causes you to fall from grace, then whatever you had, it wasn't grace because grace is unconditional. It is not earned. It is so... You know, it's just crazy how... You know this this kind of survival of the fittest mentality and the performance orientation how it has put Christians under a spell like the Galatians they're bewitched you know it's like we can't get it out of our head that grace is unconditional. So, but number verse five but by faith, by faith, and I think this again is one of the most stunning, most amazing grace verses in the Bible. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. How many of you hoped you could be a better person? How many of you have hoped you could be a... How many of you have hoped that for years and you're still pretty much the way you are? (laughs) Let's just go home and give it up. Okay? Okay, so what does this verse say? It says, by faith, see we we're not we're not just saved by faith but we have righteousness by faith by faith we eagerly await through the spirit the righteousness for which we hope you know when when i when i die and i go to be with jesus all my sin and carnality will be gone forever my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness you know i hope i could be more righteous you know that that is that is just so Christian, you know. I, I hope I could be more righteous. I hope I could be more righteous. I'm going to try to be more righteous. I'm going to try to be more righteous. This Bible verse says, by faith we hope for the... You know, we have faith, uh, uh, through, we await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. A little yeast, that would be a little legalism, Jesus plus a little something, works through the whole batch. Paul says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view the one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. And there's a penalty to be paid when it's Jesus plus something. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. The offense of the cross has been abolished. The offense of the cross. The Greek word there for offense is scandal. Grace makes religious people nervous. People who have a hard time with their walk with God and who are honest with themselves, for them, grace is such good news. But the cross, the complete work of Jesus, to people who are very religious, is an offense. It's the Greek word scandal. And Paul says, if I preach circumcision, if I preach Jesus plus something, the scandal of the cross, that it all depends on God and not you, and not your religion. The scandal of the cross goes away. Um, so, people then say, this is the scandal of it. People say, Jesus plus nothing means I don't have to do anything. In fact, how I live doesn't matter. Is that right? Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Okay. People, people scream. It's scandalous. The way you're teaching grace is scandalous. I have had, I have had Paul-like discussions with people of the circumcision party. They, people who are Pharisees in the church. I've had discussions. People get upset with me because I teach grace this way. You're going to give people an excuse to sin. And I, I say, praise the Lord. I know that I've taught grace the way Paul teaches grace because people accused him of the same thing. The problem is, in churches everywhere, grace is taught sort of in a balanced way. Yes, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these things. You know? It's kinda of like playing Monopoly. You know, you gotta roll the dice, there's luck, but you know, you gotta make some good decisions too, you know. You know, and, and it's it's not Jesus plus something, but there are people that I you know, I I get people who argue with me about this. I across the course of my life I'd had people argue with me and I say to them, Is don't argue with me. Is this what Paul is teaching or not? Is this what Paul is teaching? Or not. You know, it's not just about what I'm saying, it's what I believe that God has helped me understand very clearly, uh, and what Paul has written very clearly, and what I've embraced totally because I am in such need of grace. You know, I've been a pastor for decades, I have two seminary degrees, I've written ten books. You know, I teach, I've taught thousands of people the word of God. My, you know, my wife and I have been married for 43 years. All of our kids are serving God. And I'm just, you know, I'm just, I just pray, God have mercy on you people. Okay, now you, why do you laugh? Because as soon as I take credit for my righteousness, in some ways that's more despicable that's 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 more despicable than sin, you know. Why why are we going to heaven, because of what Jesus has done? So, uh, should we go on sinning? that grace may abound. No. So anyway, the problem is not uh, the problem is that a lot of churches teach that grace is such a, in such a balanced way that nobody objects, nobody protests. Pure grace, however, is a scandal. Unless you are really honest about how much you need God, okay? Unless you are constantly in touch with how totally helpless you are in your own strength. People who are desperate for God are never scandalized by grace. They love it, and they love the God of grace who loves them unconditionally. Well, look at this one more time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. But brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they'd just go the whole way and cut the whole thing off. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, it's in the Bible, folks. Okay. Emasculate. What in the heck does that mean? Okay. Okay, number th- uh, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Because God's loved you so much. Love your brothers and sisters just that much. Let the love of God just overwhelm you. More on this next week, you know. Paul has plenty to say about uh, obedience to the Word. But uh, only after you have clearly understood the gospel, the scandalously good news that your relationship with God is now and forever based on Jesus. Plus, nothing...